Welcome to the last week of a series called Who Do You Think You Are? And I heard more than one teacher in my life growing up say to me, Donnie, who do you think you are? And we've wrapped this whole series around the idea that it's important we know who we are because when we know who we are, we will know what to do. And as we've looked at each thing that the Bible says that we are if we're followers of Christ, the things you heard all the people go through on the screen, that we are salt and light, we are ambassadors, we are overcomers, we're God's masterpiece. Hopefully throughout this series, if you've been here for most of it, you've, you've thought about, I'm this, so I need to act like that. Because in life, difficult questions are going to come our way, difficult circumstances, and we're going to be faced with decisions time after time, and those decisions are going to be easier if we understand who we are. When we know who we are, we'll know what to do. Today, today's answer to that question is, you are a disciple. Now, the word disciple is not a word that you're probably going to use at lunch today. You probably haven't used that word recently in just a casual conversation. Disciple is a, it's kind of a churchy word. You think about church when you think about disciple. Uh, maybe you think about something weird or, or is that a cultic thing to say disciple? Is it, you know, it's kind of hard to, to really define, well, what is a disciple? Because we all don't agree that the same words always mean the same thing. If you have a teenager, you probably hear words that you think mean one thing, but they really mean something else, right? Like, the first time I heard the word sick, man, that is sick. It's like, how, how does something get sick? I don't understand. How, how is it sick? And then, oh, sick is good. I get it. Okay, that's really dope. It's like, okay, dope is not good. <laughs> dope is something you get in trouble for. No, dope is good. Okay, I got it. That's legit. I get legit. That's a throwback to the 80s. So I got the whole legit thing, right? That's right. <laughs> But the same words don't mean the same thing to everybody. So when we say disciple, maybe it doesn't mean the same thing. A few months ago at my house, we were, we were getting ready to go to a church. I was going to go speak at this church, and, and it, it wasn't quite as casual as we are at LifePoint. You know, we're a little laid back, a little casual, don't really have any kind of dress code or all that. You know, so it's just, I said, girls, tomorrow, I just need you to dress it up a little bit, okay? Just kind of, you know, just one, just kick it up a notch. Nothing fancy, no dresses or anything. Just just. Just one notch up. That's all I need. And so the next morning, and I asked Molly, our 15-year-old, if I could share this, and she brought me this shirt that was uh, what she came downstairs in when I said, girls, dress it up a little bit. This is her dress shirt. And I was like, I said, Molly, I said, dress it up a little bit. And she was like, I got my giraffe shirt on, Dad. What's the deal? She honestly was like, what's the big deal? I am. She was like, this is dressed up. No, go try again. So the words, the words we use don't always mean the same thing to everybody who hears the word. So when you hear the word disciple, you may have all these bells and whistles going off or these things going up, maybe a, a caution lights blinking in your head or like disciple. That's kind of, that's really like church, church, church. Well, the word disciple appears in scripture numerous times and the English word disciple, it comes from a Latin word that just simply means a student, or a learner. That's what a disciple is. When you see the word disciple in Scripture, there's several words that are translated disciple, but the main one, it just simply means the pupil of a particular teacher. That's what a disciple 
is. It carries with it the idea that there is a learner and there is a teacher. And that's what a disciple is. And followers of Jesus were referred to numerous times throughout Scripture as disciples. Jesus actually told his followers, go and make other disciples. Go tell people about me. When we're going through this series... And we're talking about all these things that you are. We're talking about people who have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Now, everybody who's made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you didn't realize you were these things and you need a refresher and you need to know that. And some people here, you've never taken that step into the family of God. And what you need to hear today is, like every week, this is what you could be. This is what you could have. You come week after week and you learn and you listen. And here's another thing that... God says that you can be a disciple. And everything we've talked about in this series has had a scripture wrapped around it that says, this is what God says we can be. And like every week, we encourage you to take a Bible. If you don't have one, there's ones coming up and down the aisles right now. We give them out every week at LifePoint because we believe the words in there are true. You can follow along. Just let the ushers know you would like one. You can keep it. You can give it back. It's up to you, but you can follow along in there or on the screen as I look at some different passages today. It may be a a surprise that Jesus never went up to anyone and called them to be a disciple. He never said, hey, I want you to come and I want you to be a disciple. So how did a person become a disciple? Well, they became a disciple by just simply following Jesus Christ. Just follow Jesus and then you're a disciple. When Jesus called people to him, he never said, come be a Christian. He never said, come be a good person. He, when he began to call people to be with him, he said what he said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So what was so captivating about these two words when Jesus said, follow me, people followed I mean, there's, there's episodes where they left everything. They, they messed up families even, and they followed Jesus because of those two words. And if you read on in this passage in, in Matthew 4, these guys were doing, they were fishing. And he said, follow me. And it says they left their nets and they followed him. There's something captivating about those two words. Well, if you lived in the first century and you heard the words follow me, they, they sounded very different than those two words sound to us today. Follow me had this this really powerful meaning behind it. It's not just come and hang out with me. Because the people Jesus originally spoke to when he would say those words, follow me, were all Jewish people, and they would know immediately what follow me meant. See, in the Jewish culture, education was a big deal. And it started at home with the little boys being taught Scripture. And, and from age 6 to about age 10, these little boys would be taught what the Jewish people call the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those four years, age 6 to age 10, they would memorize every, every word of all those books. And a lot of it was done orally, and that's how they knew if they were going to advance to another level of education. Hey, start in the beginning, God created, and end with Deuteronomy that's a lot of words. That's five books. I can't recite those. I can't recite half of one of those. And a little boy, 10 years old, in the Jewish culture, could recite 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those, those guys, were the little guys, the ones that really remembered, that really did a great job, that kind of internalized it and, and, and had some commentary on it, a rabbi would notice, wow, these kids need to go on to the next level of education because they're really sharp. And he would pull some out and they would move on. And by age 14, some of them would get to move on to the next level of education. And by age 14, they would have memorized all 39 books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi in memory, without looking at any notes. That's what they would know. And when a Jewish rabbi would see a little boy who was like, wow, that kid like memorized it like that, and he spoke it with such conviction, and like he really believed it, and people wanted to listen to him, the rabbi would look at the little boy, and he would think, you know what, I think this kid really has what it takes to do what I do. I think this little boy has what it takes to be a rabbi, and that was like a big, big, big deal in their culture. I think this little boy's got what it takes. And he would go to that little 14-year-old and he would say two words, follow me. And when he would say follow me, it was like a great honor that a rabbi looked at you and said follow me. And so the, the little guy at 14 would leave everything and he would follow this rabbi. Not to get a title, not to get recognition, but because he wanted to be a student of this rabbi because this rabbi believed that this 14-year-old boy could do what he did. No wonder when Jesus, who was also a Jewish rabbi, shows up and starts using two words that were only used in the context of you've got what it takes, you can do it, you need to give this, your life to this because you can have a big impact on the world. And people who had never heard that before because they somehow didn't make the cut started hearing those two words, follow me, follow me. And when Jesus did that, just like when the rabbis did it, he wasn't calling them to come and be a Christian. Do you know the word Christian was originally a derogatory term towards people who followed Christ? I mean, it's, it's become just kind of a title like American, Democrat, Republican, Independent. It's just a title. It doesn't really have a lot of meaning behind it anymore. That's why we say Christ follower at LifePoint because that's got a lot more meaning behind it and a lot more direction than just saying Christian. But the word Christian, and you may have heard this before, means little Christ. And it wasn't a, a compliment to say, oh, you're just like Jesus. It was more like, hey, you just think you're a little Jesus, don't you? It was a derogatory term. So Jesus didn't call people and say, come and be a Christian. He said, come and follow me. And just like when those Jewish boys would get behind their rabbi and mimic everything that he did, when these people followed Jesus Christ, men and women alike, they got by Jesus and they started to mimic what he did. They started to speak like him and act like him because when they became a follower, they were automatically a disciple. You cannot be a disciple without being a follower of Jesus Christ. So it's not about Jesus saying, come be a disciple, because I'm automatically one of those if I follow Jesus. So then maybe I should concentrate on, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus since being a disciple comes along with it? What does it mean? How do, how do I follow? Maybe if I, if I write down some reasons, this is how I follow Jesus then I'll know, okay, I'm a disciple. So if you're going to follow Jesus, here's just some hints. Make following a priority. Our culture is no friend to people who want to follow Christ. And I don't mean it's hostile towards us who follow Christ. 
We just live in a very me-focused culture, right? It's all about me and the things I want and the things I can get. It's all about me. But when you come and follow Christ, it changes your priorities. It changes. Like when, when the rabbi would say to the young men, follow me, they would leave everything. And there are episodes in Scripture when Jesus said, follow me, they left everything. There's one in the book of Luke, chapter 5, where Jesus comes up to this tax collector. And even in the first century, tax collectors were hated just like they're hated today. Tax collector knocks on your door. You're not going to say, come on, I've been waiting to see you. Come on in, I missed you. You have some, want something to drink, want something to eat. You're like, you'd be scared to death. If an IRS agent knocked on your door today, you'd be like, oh my gosh, where are the receipts? Where's this? Where's that? What are we going to do? Can you just come back later and give me some time, please? I mean, and then tax collectors then were hated even more. This particular guy named Levi that we're going to read about was hated on top of that because he was a Jewish man who worked for the Roman government collecting taxes from the Jews. He was hated on top of hated. And listen to what happened. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So here's this tax collector. First time in his life he's probably heard follow me. He gets what follow me means. He's thinking, that guy thinks I can be like him and do what he does. So yes, I'm going to follow him. And I doubt Levi said to himself, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's going to, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to come back to my 80 hours, 60 hours a week. And I'm going to follow Jesus while I collect taxes. And I'm going to still have this crazy schedule. Everything about following Jesus means that it reorients everything about you. It changes everything about you so you don't look like everybody else. You don't act like everybody else. Everybody doesn't just leave their post and go follow somebody. But when they understand that's the Savior of the world saying, you know what, you can do what I do. He was a lot more motivated to leave. So Jesus is not something that we just insert into our lives and say, okay, now I'm just going to insert him over here and insert him over there and nothing else change. He reprioritizes our very being. So our schedule shouldn't look like everybody else's schedule. Our desires shouldn't look like everybody else's. Our wants shouldn't look like everybody else's. It's reprioritized. So following has to be a priority if I'm going to follow If I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to learn about him in Scripture because Scripture is the initial place where you can learn about how Jesus acts and who he talks to and how he reacts and and how he treats people who treat him great and how he treats people who treat him poorly. Scripture is what tells us that getting to know Jesus is what gets us in a position where we can know God. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets At many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of God's being. Sustaining all things by him. So these words that we learn about Jesus. And learn about Jesus from reading these stories in scripture. The words aren't life. The words aren't anything but words on a page, but they point us to something powerful. They point us to who Jesus is. They point us to the exact representation of God. So if I'm going to follow, 
then I want to get to know Jesus through Scripture because getting to know Jesus, in turn, helps me get to know God because Jesus is God's exact representation. So read the Scripture. Get to know Him through what God's Word says about Him. Disciples watch their teacher. They watch how their teacher acts and reacts and how what, they learn what their teacher knows. So when you watch Jesus in the scripture, you see how he responds when people are negative. You see how he responds when people reject him. You see how he responds when he's tired. You see how he responds when he's happy. And you learn from him through reading those stories, primarily in the first four books of the New Testament. You can learn about Jesus. It's another way to follow. Learn about Jesus through the scriptures. Another way to follow is to spend time with Jesus. You need to spend time with Jesus, and and I'm talking about like prayer time, meditation, scripture reading. Because if you read how Jesus interacted with his disciples, he spoke to them on their level. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. And, and a couple thousand years of church history really complicated. It really messed it all up to where it's some kind of something that's very difficult to understand according to some teachers, but it's not rocket science. If I need something and I go to Jesus, he provides. If there's something lacking in my life, he can provide it. If I've got problems, he's got answers. It's pretty simple. And so Jesus taught by telling these stories called parables. And it says he only taught through parables because that's how they could understand. So he would tell a story and they would find themselves in the story. So you spend time with Jesus, you find what you need. Simple. And you know that because Jesus also spent time with someone. He spent time with his father. This is one of the best things a follower can do is to spend time alone getting to know Jesus, through prayer, through listening, through meditation. He did it. Now, sometimes it's difficult because we have these busy, crazy schedules to think, I've got time to meditate. Are you kidding me? If I get a minute alone, I'm not thinking about anything. You think you've got a busy schedule, and you probably do. But Jesus can relate. He had a lot to do when he was on earth. But listen, what his, listen to his priorities. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark... Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus was trying to escape, to spend time alone with with his father, with God. And here's his disciples saying, Jesus, we got a 9 a.m. status meeting. You don't have time to be getting up and going off and just praying. You gotta, I mean, sometimes you just have to escape. You just have to get alone. Can anybody relate to that? You just have to, for no other reason than just to be alone. And you might think, I have too many demands. You couldn't have had more demands than Jesus. I just have to say, you couldn't have. I mean, he had to save the world. You just got to get five tasks done by 6 o'clock. I mean, he had a lot to do, and somehow he found the time. And maybe for you it's getting up early. Maybe you're wired differently and it's staying up late. But somehow you've got to get away and demand that that time happens where you can escape, even if it's for little bits of time. I think God allows the mundane to come into our lives so we can even use that to spend time with him. 
How many mundane tasks do you do in a day that require almost no thought? I mowed my lawn yesterday. I did not have to think about it. I just did it. And while I was doing it, I was thinking about other things. I was using this mundane task. Anybody love to iron? Oh my gosh, I don't enjoy that at all. Maybe while you're ironing, you take that mundane task and you use that as a time for meditation. Shoving laundry in the, in the washer or pulling it out of the dryer, a mundane task. Several months ago, I, I decided I was going to start running because Molly runs, our 15-year-old, and I, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I, I, I can run and maybe get in a little better shape. And, and it doesn't take a lot of thought to run. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And after the first few weeks when I wasn't having to think, breathe, breathe, you know, don't pass out, don't die. I mean, it took a little thought at first, but now I can get my left foot in front of my right foot and I don't even have to think about it. So I take that 30 or 45 minutes of running and I use that as a, as a time just to think. Not to think about a message, not to think about, oh, I could deliver it this way or say it that way, but just to think about me and God and our relationship with each other and to meditate upon who he is. And you've no doubt got mundane tasks in your life where you're driving to work or where you're doing stuff that just doesn't quite require any thought. You can just use that as a time to really spend time with Jesus. Those times are in there. Just find them and let that mundane task become something meaningful where you can spend time with him. I can also follow, according to what Jesus said, by making disciples for Jesus. Jesus sent out disciples because Jesus actually himself only used the word twice. The, real, the Greek word twice, it could be translated differently, but the Greek word for disciple, Jesus only said it twice. Once when he said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow me, which meant get behind me. You're going to endure some difficult things. If you, if you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. So he used it there. And then he used it again in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is saying, you want to follow me, you're going to have to prioritize. You're going to have to get to know me through Scripture. You're going to have to spend some time with me. And then I want, as you're, as you're getting to know me, as you're growing, I want you to invite other people in on the journey. I want you to help them become followers, which makes them a disciple as well. So if I'm going to be a follower of Christ and one of his disciples, by definition, that means I'm going to invite other people in on this journey. Now, that is uncomfortable for some people to think, you mean i got to tell people about it? i gotta, I got to let people know about Jesus, and that's weird, and how am I supposed to say People have two ways of looking at this. One is you can treat what Jesus said like a school fundraiser. Like, um, my kid's selling these candy bars. Would you like to buy one? I mean, I hate school fundraisers. I don't enjoy sharing them with people. In fact... When our girls bring them home, I'm like, how many candy bars do you have to buy to get the prize? Let's just buy it. Let's forget about it. And let's get this thing behind us. 
mean, school, school fundraisers, if you work in a school, it probably is a big deal, and I understand schools need money, and I would much rather just say, how much money do you need, and I'll write as much big a check as I can, but I don't want wrapping paper or candy bars or popcorn or whatever it is you're selling. And no, I don't know many people who say, the kids have a fundraiser. we got to tell the neighborhood. Go down the street. It's like you grit your teeth. And some people, when it comes to making disciples of other people, that's how they do it. It's like, oh, gosh, i got to invite these people to church. And, you know, you know, I'll come up with a program or something. And maybe, maybe they won't notice I never invite anybody. Maybe they won't notice I never talk about my faith with somebody else. That's one way of viewing Jesus saying, make disciples. Now, another way of viewing it is like people get when they go to a restaurant that's like the best restaurant in the world, or they see a movie that's like, oh my gosh, you've got to see that movie. Your life won't be complete without it. I mean, I see them, I see the posts on Facebook. You go to these great restaurants and, and you go to a movie and I'm like, wow, that's like life changing. I've got to do that. And people get evangelistic about movies and restaurants and how in the world could you go through life without spending $3,000 at Disney World in a week? Because talk to somebody that's just been and they're going to say, you got to go. Oh my gosh, you got to go. Your kids, they're going to have to go through counseling if you don't go to Disney World at some point in your life. And people get really excited and evangelistic about it. Probably the greatest evangelistic company in the world is Apple. Right? Because if you don't have an, an Apple something, a phone, an iPad, a, a, a computer, an iPhone, something. If you don't have one of those, you poor thing. And how could you get through life? I mean, everything you see projected and all the computer stuff at LifePoint, it's all Apple because it's cool, because it's the best. Because, and then there's this other group of people who have never yet experienced the joy of having, you know, a little Apple sticker on the back of your car as if to say, I am cool and you are not. And if you mention computer, I'll tell you, oh, you got to get one. It's, a, it's so much easier. You have to get one. I mean, think about it, how quick people are. If you ask me, what, what computer should I get? I would, I would be an Apple evangelist for you and tell you how wonderful it is. So you've got two choices. Either I'm going to treat Jesus' command to make disciples like a school fundraiser or I'm going to treat it like the greatest movie that I've ever seen. Why do people have such an easy time talking about the latter? It's because it was an experience that meant something to them. So instead of being intimidated by what could I share and I don't know any scriptures to share and I, I couldn't, I could not, I could not like exegete that passage or parse the Greek or I couldn't do any of that stuff for people. So what, what can I do? I, just tell your story. Just talk about your experience because that's what Jesus is asking people to do. As you get to know me, it's a big circle. You invite other people in, then they get to know me. And you invite other people in, and they get to know me. And then they invite people. And it just continues to go. And the reason I could stand here on the stage today, 2,000 years after Jesus said that, is because many people got serious about getting uncomfortable and sharing their story of faith with someone else who in turn shared it with someone else. That's the only way the message of Christ goes to the next generation. And that's what a disciple is. You follow Christ, you are a disciple, and by definition you are inviting other people in on the journey. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. Now, maybe you got to get some refreshers to get excited about it. And one thing, something you could do this week. I want to challenge you to do this. Take some time 
and prioritize and get to know Jesus through the Scriptures. And open up and read one of the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Mark is the, is the shortest, so if, you want, if you've got a short amount of time, that's the shortest one. You should be able to read it in 10 or 12 minutes. Get all the way through and you'll learn some things about Jesus. Take some time this week and do that. And take some time this week and write your story. Because your story has the ability to impact somebody else and invite them in on the story. And then your story and their story and God's story all gets intertwined and people become disciples because they make a decision to follow him. And as you write your story, go to this website that's on the screen. And if you're comfortable doing that, write that down and go, go there and fill it out and put your story in there. We would love to hear those stories. Every time somebody comes up and says, you know what, I'm going to participate next week's baptism service at the lake or the next baptism service that you're having at the pool because God's really working in my life and doing something and it's something new and I, I didn't know this whole thing about being immersed and what baptism means and I got it and I want to do it. And that becomes part of their story. And we've found stories online that people have submitted that end up going and, and following Christ in baptism or beginning their relationship with Christ. We found stories that people have submitted that ended up on the screen and you've seen those played out as people shared their life story and we've seen stories help make disciples of other people. All because somebody said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't say just come and get a new title. He's saying, I believe you can do this. I believe you can love the way I love. I believe you can forgive the way I forgive. I believe you can be bold the way I'm bold. I believe you can share the way I share. That's what the words follow me meant. And in the Jewish culture, when a 14-year-old boy would leave home because the rabbi said, follow me, they had this saying. They would say, he's going to go walk in the rabbi's dust, meaning that he's going to walk so closely and follow so closely to the rabbi that the rabbi's dust gets on the student, on the disciple. And that's what Jesus says to every single one of us. Follow me. Come and walk in my dust and be so close to me that you will do what I do. You can follow Christ through reprioritizing what following is, through getting to know Jesus through the scriptures, through spending time alone with him. And one of the greatest ways to get to know Jesus is to invite somebody else in on the journey. Because if you follow Christ, you are a disciple.